Hey, it's Otis here. Before we get to the bedtime reading, I wanted to let you know that I just launched a brand new show. It's called The Daily Book Club, a daytime companion to Sleepy, where you hear entire books one chapter at a time, one day at a time. Simple as that. So if Sleepy is how you uh, wind down your day, The Daily Book Club is a great way to start your day. There's new episodes daily. Uh, I read in a slightly peppier voice so that you can get really lost in these amazing stories that have stood the test of time. Or, just like Sleepy, you can sit back and relax and zone out to a good book. The first book we'll be reading is The Enchanted April by Elizabeth Von Arnhem. Story is, in the 1920s, four women unfulfilled with life take a chance and abscond to a dreamy medieval Italian castle. It's a story dripping with wisteria, the beauty of solitude, and an unlikely pursuit of joy in Portofino, Italy. I think that this is a perfect story for the season, and you can hear it now. Find The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. This show has been a long time coming, and I'm so excited to bring you even more stories. So go subscribe to The Daily Book Club to hear what happens next. Thanks. This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well, and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high-quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, they have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included. And there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. 
I have got a wonderful snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Sandy Chiansky, Daniel, and MathPunk. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of making this show. And for anyone who doesn't know, all of these wonderful names I just read are brand new patrons on Patreon.com, which is a excellent website where you can go on and support creators of the work that you like. So, if the Sleepy Podcast has maybe helped you get a better night's rest and wake up more refreshed the next day, then consider going to patreon.com slash sleepy radio and donating even a dollar a month. And at $5 a month, you get access to the special Patreon poetry feed where I send you extra poetry readings that are not on the regular podcast um, every month. No matter how much you donate, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So again, if you'd like to be a part of making this show, then just go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover up for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Tonight, I'm going to be reading a story that I have not read before, um, and an author that has never been on the Sleepy Podcast before either. It's from a little collection here called Seven Gothic Tales by the Danish author Karen Blixen, who also goes by the pen name Isaac Dennison. And tonight, I'm going to be reading a wonderful, dreamy little tale called The Dreamers. I hope it helps you doze off into a deep, deep slumber. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how I like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. On a full moon night of 1863, a Dow was on its way from Lamu to Zanzibar, following the coast about a mile out. She carried full sails before the monsoon and had in her a freight of ivory and rhino horn. This last is highly valued as an aphrodisiac, and traders come for it to Zanzibar from as far as China. But besides these cargoes, the Dow also held a secret load, which was about to stir and raise great forces, and of which the slumbering country she passed did not dream. This still night was bewildering in its deep silence and peace, as if something had happened to the world 
as if the soul of it had been, by some magic, turned upside down. The free monsoon came from far places, and the sea wandered on under its sway on her long journey in the face of the dim, luminous moon. But the brightness of the moon upon the water was so clear that it seemed as if all the light in the world were in reality radiating from the sea to be reflected in the skies. The waves looked solid, as if one might safely have walked upon them, while it was into the vertiginous sky that one might sink and fall into the turbulent and unfathomable depths of silvery worlds of bright silver or dull and tarnished silver, forever silver reflected within silver, moving and changing, towering up, slowly and weightless. The two men in the prow were still like statues, their bodies naked to the waist in the hot night, iron gray like the sea where the moon was not shining on it, so that only the clear dark shades running along their backs and limbs marked out their forms against the vast plain. The red cap of one of them glowed dull, like a plum in the moonlight. But one corner of the sail, catching the light, glinted the white belly of a dead fish. The air was like that of a hothouse, and so damp that all the planks and ropes of the boat were sweating a salt dew. The heavy waters sang and murmured along the bow and stern. On the after deck, a small lantern was hung up and three people were grouped around it. The first of them was young Sadban Ahmed, the son of Tibotep's sister, and himself beloved by the great man. He had been, through the treachery of his rivals, for two years a prisoner in the north, and had escaped and got to Lamu by many strange ways. Now he was here, unknown to the world, on his way home to take revenge upon his enemies. There was the hope of revenge within Sad's heart, which, more powerful than the monsoon, was in reality forcing the boat on. It was both sail and ballast to the dow. Had they now been aware that Sad was in a ship, on his way to Zanzibar tonight, many great people would have been hurriedly packing up their property and their harems to get away before it was too late. Of Sed's revenge, in the end, other tales have told. He sat on the deck, cross-legged, bent forward, his hands loosely folded and resting on the planks before him, in deep thought. The second and eldest of the party was a person of great fame, the much-renowned storyteller Mirajama himself, the inventions of whose mind have been loved by a hundred tribes. 
He sat with his legs crossed, like Seth, and with his back to the moon, but the night was clear enough to show that he had at some encounter with his destiny, had the nose and ears of his dark head cut clear off. He was poorly dressed, but still had kept a regard for his appearance. Around his thin body, he had a faded, thick, crimson silk scarf, which sometimes, at a movement of his, flamed up and burned like fire or pure rubies in the light of the small lantern. The third in the company was a red-haired Englishman whose name was Lincoln Forstner, and whom the natives of the coast called Tembu, which may mean either ivory or alcohol, as it pleases you. Lincoln was the child of a rich family in his own country, and had been blown about by many winds to lie tonight flat on his stomach on the deck of the Dow, dressed in an Arab shirt and loose Indian trousers, but still shaved and whiskered like a gentleman. He was chewing the dried leaves, which the Swahili call burungu, which keep you awake and in a pleasant mood, and from time to time spitting at a long distance. This made him communicative. He was joining Sad's expedition out of his love for the young man, and also to see what would happen, as he had before seen things happen in various countries. His heart was light. He was very fond of a bow, and pleased with the speed, the warm night, and the full moon. How is it, Mira, he said, that you cannot tell us a story as we are sailing on here tonight. You used to have many tales, such as make the blood run cold and make you afraid to trust your oldest friend. Tales good on a hot night and for people out on great undertakings. Have you no more? No, I have no more, Tembu, said Mira. And that in itself makes a sad tale. Good for people out on great undertakings. I was once a good storyteller, and I specialized in such tales as make the blood run cold. Devils, poison, treachery, torture, darkness, and lunacy. These were Mira's stock in trade. I remember one of your tales now, said Lincoln. You frightened me by it and two young dancers of Lamu, who really need not have been afraid of it, so that we did not sleep all night. The sultan wanted a true virgin, and after much trouble she was fetched for him from the mountains. But he found her. Yes, yes, Mira took up the tale. His whole countenance suddenly changed, his dark eyes brightening and his hands coming to life in the old telltale manner, like two aged dancing snakes called out from their basket by the flu. The sultan wanted a true virgin, such as had never heard of men. 
with great trouble she was fetched for him from the Amazon kingdom in the mountains where all the male children had been killed off by the women who made wild wars on their own. But when the sultan went into her, between the hangings of the door he saw her looking out at a young water carrier who was walking to and fro in the palace and heard her speak to herself. Oh, I have come to a good place, she said, and that creature there must be God or a strong angel, the one who hurls the lightning. I do not mind dying now, for I have seen what no one has ever seen. And at that, the young water carrier looked up at the window too and kept standing there, gazing at the maiden. So the sultan became very sad, and he had the virgin and the young man buried alive together in a marble chest broad enough to make a marriage bed under a palm tree of his garden, and seating himself below the same tree, he wondered at many things, and at how he was never to have his heart's desire, and he had a young boy to play the flute to him. That was the tale you heard once. Yes, but better told them, said Lincoln. It was that, said Mira, and the world could not do without Mira then. People love to be frightened. The great princes, fed up with the sweets of life, wish to have their blood stirred again. The honest ladies, to whom nothing ever happened, long to tremble in their beds just for once. The dancers were inspired to a lighter pace by tales of flight and pursuit. Ah, how the world loved me in those days. Then I was handsome, round-cheeked. I drank noble wine, wore gold-embroidered clothes and amber, and had incense burned in my rooms. But how has this change come upon you? asked Lincoln. Alas, said Mira, sinking back into his former quiet manner. As I have lived, I have lost the capacity of fear. When you know what things are really like, you can make no poems about them. When you have had talk with ghosts and connections with the devils, you are, in the end, more afraid of your creditors than of them. And when you have been made a cuckold, you are no longer nervous about cuckoldry. I have become too familiar with life. It can no longer delude me into believing that one thing is much worse than the other. The day and the dark, an enemy and a friend, I know them to be about the same. How can you make others afraid when you have forgotten fear yourself? I once had a really tragic tale, a great tale full of agony, immensely popular, of a young man who in the end had his nose and his ears cut off. Now I could frighten no one with it, if I wanted to, for now I know that to be without them is not so very much worse than to have them. This is why you see me here, skin and bone, and dressed in old rags, the follower of Seth, 
in prison and poverty, instead of keeping near the thrones of the mighty, flourishing and flatter, as was young Mirajama. But could you not, Mira, Lincoln asked, make a terrible tale about poverty and unpopularity? No, said the storyteller proudly. It is not the sort of story which Mirajama tells. Well, yes, alas, said Lincoln, turning around on his side. What is life, Mira, when you come to think upon it? But a most excellent, accurately set, infinitely complicated machine for turning fat, playful puppies into old, mangy, blind dogs and proud war horses into skinny nags and succulent young boys to whom the world holds great delights and terrors into old weak men with running eyes who drink ground rhino horn. Oh, Lincoln Forstner, said the noseless storyteller, what is man when you come to think upon him but a minutely set ingenuous machine for turning with infinite artfulness, the red wine of Shiraz into urine. You may even ask, which is the more intense craving and pleasure, to drink or to make water? But in the meantime, what has been done? A song has been composed, a kiss taken, a slanderer slain, a prophet begotten, a righteous judgment given. A joke made. The world drank in the young storyteller Mira. He went to its head. He ran it in its veins. He made it glow with warmth and color. Now I am on my way down a little. The effect is worn off. The world will soon be equally pleased to piss me out again. And I do not know but that I am pressing on a little myself. But the tales which I made, they shall last. What do you do in the meantime to keep so good a face toward it in this urgency of life to rid itself of you? Lincoln asked. I dream, said Mira. Dream, said Lincoln. Yes, by the grace of God, said Mira, every night. As soon as I sleep, I dream. And in my dreams, I still know fear. Things are terrible to me there. In my dreams, I sometimes carry with me something infinitely dear and precious, such as I know well enough that no real things be. And there it seems to me that I must keep this thing against some dreadful danger, such as there are none in the real world. And it also seems to me that I shall be struck down and annihilated if I lose it, though I know well that you are not. In the world of the daytime, struck down and annihilated, whatever you lose. In my dreams, the dark is filled with indescribable horrors, but there are also sometimes flights and pursuits of a heavenly delight. He sat for a while in silence. But what particularly pleases me 
about dreams, he went on, is this. That there the world creates itself around me without any effort on my part. Here, now, if I want to go to Ghazi, I have to bargain for a boat and to buy and pack my provisions, to tack up against the wind and even to make my hands sore by rowing. And then, when I get to Ghazi, what am I to do there? Of that also I must think. But in my dreams, I find myself walking up a long row of stone steps which lead from the sea. These steps I have not seen before, yet I feel that to climb them is a great happiness and that they will take me to something highly enjoyable. Or I find myself hunting in a long row of low hills and I have got people with me with bows and arrows and dogs and leads. But what I am to hunt or why I have gone there I do not know. One time I came into a room from a balcony in the very early morning and upon the stone floor stood a woman's two little sandals at the same moment I thought, they are hers. And at that my heart overflowed with pleasure, rocked in ease. But I had taken no trouble. I had had no expense to get the woman. And at other times, I had been aware that outside the door was a big man who meant to kill me. But still I had done nothing to make him my enemy and I shall just wait for the dream itself to inform me how to escape from him. For in myself, I cannot find out how to do it. The air in my dreams, and particularly since I have been in prison, was said, is always very high, and I generally see myself as a very small figure in a great landscape or in a big house. In all this, a young man would not take any pleasure at all. But to me, now, it holds such delight, as does making water when you have finished with wine. I do not know about it, Mira. I hardly ever dream, said Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln, live forever, said old Mira. You dream indeed more than I do myself. Do I not know the dreamers when I meet them? You dream awake and walking about. You will do nothing yourself to choose your own ways. You let the world form itself around you, and then you open your eyes to see where you will find yourself. This journey of yours, tonight, is a dream of yours. You let the waves of fate wash you about, and then you will open your eyes tomorrow to find out where you are. To see your pretty face, said Lincoln. You know, Tembu, said Mira suddenly, after a pause, that if, in planting a coffee tree, you bend the taproot, the tree will start, after a little time, to put out a multitude of small, delicate roots near the surface. That tree will never thrive, nor bear fruit, but it will flower more richly than the others. 
Those fine roots are the dreams of the tree. As it puts them out, it need no longer think of its bent taproot. It keeps alive by them, a little, not for very long. Or you can say that it dies by them, if you like. If you want to go to sleep at night, Lincoln, you must not think, as people tell you, of a long row of sheep or camels passing through a gate, for they go in one direction, and your thoughts will go along with them. You should think instead of a deep well. In the bottom of that well, just in the middle of it, there comes up a spring of water, which runs out in little streamlets to all possible sides, like the rays of a star. If you can make your thoughts run out with that water, not in one direction, but equally to all sides, you will fall asleep. If you can make your heart do it thoroughly enough, as the coffee tree does it with the little surface roots, you will die. So that is the matter with me, you think, that I want to forget my taproot, asked Lincoln. Yes, said Mira, it must be that, unless it be that, like many of your countrymen, you never had much of it. Unless it be that, said Lincoln. They sailed on for a little while in silence. A man took up a flute and played a few notes on it to try it. Why does not said speak a word to us? Lincoln asked Mira. Said lifted his eyes a little and smiled, but did not speak. Because he thinks, said Mira. This conversation of ours seems to him very insipid. What is he thinking of? asked Lincoln. Mira thought for a while. Well, he said, there are only two courses of thought, at all seemly to a person of any intelligence. The one is, what am I to do this next moment? Or tonight, or tomorrow, or the other? What did God mean by creating the world, the sea, and the desert, the horse, the winds, woman, amber, fishes, wine? Said things of the one or the other. Perhaps he is dreaming, said Lincoln. No, said Mira after a moment. Not said. He does not know how to dream yet. The world is just drinking him in. He is going to its head and into its blood. He means to dream the pulsation of its heart. He is not dreaming, but perhaps he is praying to God. By the time when you have finished praying to God, that is when you put out your surface roots. That is when you begin to dream. Sat tonight, maybe praying to God, throwing his prayer at the Lord with such energy as that which the angel shall, upon the last day, throw at the world the note of his trump with such energy as that which the elephant copulates.
Seth says to God, let me be all the world. He says, Mira went on after a minute, I shall show no mercy, and I ask for none. But that is where Said is mistaken. He will be showing mercy before he is done with all of us. Do you ever dream of the same place twice? Asked Lincoln after a time. Yes, yes, said Mira. That is a great favor of God's, a great delight to the soul of the dreamer. I come back after a long time in my dream to the place of an old dream and my heart melts with delight. They sailed on for some time and no one said anything. Then Lincoln suddenly changed up his position, sat up, and made himself comfortable. He spat on the deck, the last of his marungu, dived into a pocket, and rolled himself a cigarette. I will tell you a tale tonight, Mira, he said, since you have none. You have reminded me of long gone things. Many good stories have come from your part of the world to ours, and when I was a child, I enjoyed them very much. Now I will tell you this one, for the pleasure of your ears, Mira, and for the heart of Say, to whom my tale may prove useful. It all goes to teach you how I was twenty years ago, taught, as you say, Mira, to dream, and of the woman who taught me. It happened just as I tell it to you. But as the names and places and conditions in the countries in which it all took place and which may seem very strange to you, I will give you no explanation. You must take in whatever you can and leave the rest outside. It is not a bad thing in a tale that you understand only half of it. Twenty years ago, when I was a young man of twenty-three, I sat one winter night in the room of a hotel amongst mountains with snow, storm, gray clouds, and a wild moon outside. Now the continent of Europe, of which you have heard, consists of two parts, the one of which is more pleasant than the other, and these two are separated by a high and steep mountain chain. You cannot cross it, except in a few places where the formation of the mountains is a little less hostile than elsewhere, and where roads have been made with much trouble to take you over them. Such a place there was near the hotel where I was staying, a road that would admit pedestrians Horses and mules and even coaches have been cut in the rocks and on the top of the pass where, from laboriously climbing upwards, cursing your fate, you begin to descend, soon to feel the sweet air caressing your face and lungs 
a brotherhood of holy men, have built a great house for the refreshment of travelers. I was on my way from the north, where things were cold and dead, to the blue and voluptuous south. The hotel was my last station before the steep journey to the top of the pass, which I meant to undertake on the next day. It was a little early in the season yet to travel this way at all. There were only a few people on the road as yet, and higher up in the mountains the snow was lying deep. To the world I looked a pretty rich and gay young man on his way from one pleasure to another and providing himself on the way with the best of everything. But in truth, I was just being whirled about, forward and backward, by my aching heart, a poor fool out in a wild goose chase after a woman. Yes, after a woman, Mira, if you believe it or not. I had already been searching for her in a variety of places. In fact, so hopeless was my pursuit of her that I should most certainly have given it up if it had been at all within my power to do so. But my own soul, Mira, my dear, was in the breast of this woman. And she was not a girl of my own age. She was many years older than I. Of her life, I knew nothing except what was painful to me to swallow and what was the worst of the business, I had no reason to believe that she would at all be pleased should I contrive to find her. The whole thing had come about like this. My father was a very rich man in England, the owner of large factories and of a pleasant estate in the country, a man with a big family and an enormous working capacity. He read the Bible much, our holy book, and had come to feel himself God's one substitute on earth. Indeed, I do not know if he was capable of making any distinction between his fear of God and his self-esteem. It was his duty, he thought, to turn the chaotic world into a universe of order and to see that all things were made useful, which to him meant making them useful to him himself. Within his own nature, I know of two things only which he could not control. He had, against his own principles, a strong love of music, particularly of Italian opera music, and he sometimes could not sleep at night. Later on I was told by my aunt, his sister, who much disliked him, that he had, as a young man in the West Indies, actually killed a man. Perhaps this was what kept him awake. I and my twin sister were much younger than our other brothers and sisters. What flea had bitten my father that he should beget two more children when he had got through most of his trouble? with the rest of us 
I do not know. At the day of judgment, I shall ask him for an explanation. I have sometimes thought that it was really the ghost of the West Indian gentleman which had been after him. My father was not pleased with anything which I did. In the end, I think I became a car cane care to him. For had I not been of his own manufacture, he would have been pleased to see me come to a bad end. Now I felt that I was ever, as my son Lincoln, being drawn, hammered, and battered into all sorts of shapes in order to be made useful between one o'clock and three of the night. During these hours, I myself generally had a pretty heated and noisy time, for I had become an officer in a smart regiment of the army. And there, to keep up my prestige amongst the sons of the oldest families of the land, spend much of the money, time, and wit which my father reckoned to be really and rightly his. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.